Welcome to the 28th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm your host, Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Polygami Sanath covers the farm beat in India, which means writing about over 600 million people. The largest collection of small farmers in the world. Over the years, Sanath has earned an international reputation for his coverage of a population that is often ignored by other journalists. He has written about agricultural subsidies, starvation deaths, and the daily struggles of farmers who have suicide rates that are of epidemic proportions. One government estimate is that between 1993 and 2003, over 100,000 Indian farmers committed suicide, mostly by drinking pesticide. Vardarba, a cotton-growing region in central India about half the size of Minnesota, an estimated 767 people committed suicide during a 14-month period, ending in late August 2006. Sanath, who spends at least 300 days a year out in rural areas doing interviews, says these grisly statistics are gross underestimates since the Indian government does not consider women when tallying up the farmer population. Sanath is currently the rural affairs editor of the Hindu newspaper. He is known for combining passionate first-person reporting with a meticulous citing of facts and figures gleaned from government reports. The journalist has come to believe that the recent problems plaguing rural India cannot be dismissed as a result of natural disasters like drought. Government policies to blame, he maintains, particularly policy that pushes farmers to raise food crops for export while their neighbors starve, and which allows multinational corporations like Monsanto to control everything from what inputs are used in crop production to the lending of money. His writings and analyses have been instrumental in bringing out the revamping of drought management programs, providing improvements in programs for indigenous people, and other policy changes. Through his work, Sanath is also reforming the media's attitude towards the underreported issues of rural India. During the fall of 2006, he came to the United States to accept a journalism award. While here, he stopped in Minnesota to speak about India's agricultural problems and how they relate to agrarian crises all over the world, including here in the United States. In the following excerpt of Sanath's Minnesota talk, he describes how attempts by corporations to take over agriculture in India threaten to undermine the economic, social, and environmental fabric of entire regions. If you look at a profile of the households where these suicides have occurred, and if you look at the profile which the National Sample Survey gives us on the per capita earnings and expenditure of farmers, health expenditure is the second fastest growing cause of rural family debt. The second fastest, second fastest growing component of rural family debt is expenditure on health, which in every case was several times in the suicide household, several times the expenditure on education. Uh, it's also very interesting that in the last one year has been a mine of data which has come out from the 2001-2002-2001 census and from the NSS National Sample Survey data of 2002. It's very interesting. If we take a map of indebtedness, indebtedness doubled in the peasantry. It was 26% of households in, uh, it was 26% of households in, in 2001, uh, 1991. It's 48% of all households in 2001, and it has gone up phenomenally since then. Now, if you look at this, if we take the suicide map of India and sit it alongside or atop the indebtedness map of India, they fit perfectly. Highest number of farm suicides, Andhra Pradesh, my home state. Highest number of households indebted in the country, Andhra Pradesh, 84%. Then come Kerala, Punjab, all those other households. It, fits, it sits perfectly with the 
indebtedness map of India. But of course, there have to be other causes. As a learned professor of clinical psychiatry wrote in the New York Times in a letter the other day, you should realize, she admonished all of us, that people who commit suicide are mentally unstable. Now, gee, we didn't know that. But anyway, but uh, the question is, I would have preferred that she addressed the question, why farmers? Why not baseball players? Why not Wall Street executives? Why farmers? So f- somehow, you know, we come to the argument that farmers are inherently mentally unstable. Let me tell you another experience from Vidarbha. Because the government loved this explanation, it sent off teams of shrinks to the villages to investigate why all these, you know, these guys are obviously nuts, killing themselves like whatever. So it sent out this team of highly qualified doctors and shrinks, and, and they went and did a lot of research in the villages, high, high funda research, high fundamental research in the villages, and asked hundreds of questions. In one village in Yavatmal, one old farmer stood up and said, may I also ask you a question? And they, were, they said, of course, we are here to listen to you, which was news. Uh, and he said, you know, we are very honored, such great academics, such great intellectuals, such great people coming to our tiny village. It's, it's an event, it's an occasion, it's an honor. We're thrilled about it. And you've done so much work on our behalf. You've asked us hundreds of questions. You've asked us how much we're drinking. You've asked us, do we fight with our wives? You know, and you've collected all this information and you've given us very good advice. You've said, don't drink so much. Don't fight with your wives. Do yoga to lessen tension. And uh, why don't you ask us one more question? Having asked us all these questions, sirs, ask us one more question. Ask us why the farmers who put the country's food on its table, why they are starving. Ask us why the children of farmers who bring the food to your table, why they are starving. Ask us this question also in addition to the hundreds of other questions you've asked us. There was total silence. One of the very distinguished shrinks had the decency and the honesty to tell us later, to tell journalists later, we felt like a bunch of shits. And we had no answer to it. Because that was the more fundamental question to which they had no answer. You know, in India, if you went to one of the distinguished Indian medical colleges, as one of these people was from the Velour Medical College, when you, one of the first things you learn in that medical college, one of the first principles you learn is what the mind does not know the eye, the eyes do not see. Are you from Velour Medical College? <laughs> yeah. What the what the what the mind does not know, the eye cannot observe. What the old man was telling them something something very different. What the heart does not feel, the eye can never see. And that's what he was telling them, and that's what they felt, and that's what this particular shrink felt anyway when he had to deal with it. Now back to in that that is the area where the suicides are mounting and mounting. So the Prime Minister came because, as he told me in June, he was deeply disturbed by what was going on. I got summoned to the Prime Ministerial Office on June 22nd, and he said on 30th I'm visiting with Darbha. So he did. Which did all of us a favor, because once the Prime Minister comes, the media come. It's also very telling that at the height, when the Vidarbha suicides crossed the 500 mark, mark this year, What were the media doing? The media in Mumbai were covering India's biggest fashion show ever. For me, there was a direct connection between the fashion show and the suicides, which would have made a very good story, which the media could not see, because the heart could not feel. 
And the story was this. The, the models on the ramp were displaying cotton garments. The guys growing the cotton were killing themselves one hour's flight away. One hour away, the guys growing the cotton were killing themselves. Don't you think that's a story? The guys growing the cotton were killing themselves. It did not, it did not make a story until the Prime Minister came. The Prime Minister came because the situation was very bad. And as he realized and mentioned, there's one suicide every eight hours in this region. Something is fundamentally wrong. After he's left, in the, in the three months after he's left, there is now one suicide every six hours. Because not a single fundamental issue of agriculture has been addressed by the packages or policies that then followed his visit. Nothing about the price of cotton, nothing about input costs, nothing about credit to farmers, none of this has been addressed. Oh, there were some changes by late September, October, after the National Commission on Farmers visited the state and really banged the government on what was going on. Maharashtra is a state where you have this incredibly rich city called Mumbai or Pune, and the rest of the state is a mess outside of the western region of the state. Maharashtra has gigantic power cuts. We've had a power crisis. We had the country's only solvent profit-making state electricity board till 91-92. And then we saddled ourselves with Enron. Yes. And we sent the country's one profit-making electricity board. We blew a hole the size of the Titanic in its economy. And it's dead. As I said, none of this is accidental. None of this is a... Uh, you know, outcome of natural disaster. Farmers have faced far greater droughts and floods and famines in the past without resorting to this kind of a stuff. All of it was policy driven by those six, seven processes that I mentioned. Debt and indebtedness are also used as a lever to move poor people into the kind of labor required of them rather than what they wish to do. It's used as a lever. You don't grow the crop, we want you to grow. There's no credit. The credit, the credit picture is simply stunning. The old village moneylender of classic Indian literature, he's finished. Because his clientele are finished. They can't repay. I have covered small moneylenders' suicides. Yeah, their clients are dead. I mean, the clients have migrated or run away or can't pay or simply cannot pay. So they are all, whole new waves of predators have come in. The agents of seed manufacturers. The dealers for Monsanto, these are the new moneylenders of the countryside. The input dealer. All this is happening at the same time that the governments have smashed or destroyed the agricultural universities. The Prime Minister said this May, the agricultural extension, extension missionary in India is close to non-existent. So the guy who is the input dealer, the guy who sells you your pesticide, the guy who sells you your uh, fertilizer, the guy who sells you your um, seed is also your agricultural expert. He tells you what to buy, then he sells it to you. He tells you what's good for you, and he tells you you buy it from me. He gives you credit because there's no other source since the banks are not doing it. How did this come about? And what is going on? Very simply, the same process that you guys may have had 30, 40 years ago is on us. Indian agriculture is being cleared of smallholders to be handed over neatly packaged to corporations. That's what's happening. The rules, the laws are being steadily changed towards this end. The, the laws governing marketing committees have been drastically changed. The, the laws governing purchase of produce have been drastically changed. More and more we are handing over agriculture to corporations. 
And for that you have to leverage the peasantry out of agriculture. The most celebrated state, sadly, my own home state of Andhra Pradesh, produced a vision of how this was to be done. It's called Vision 2020. Vision 2020 was the brainchild, no, it was not the brainchild, it was the presentation of Mr. Chandrababu Naidu, beloved of the Western media and all corporations in the planet. Mr. Naidu was a very busy and efficient person, so he didn't have time to develop his own vision. He went to the market to buy one. And it so happened that McKinsey was also in the market at that time, and they said, we'll do you a good discount on visions just now because they're trashed in 20 other countries. Right, so we can sell you a cheap one. Mass production always brings the prices down. So they gave him one which had been rejected, you know, I think in most of the galaxy. And he promptly started implementing it in my home state, which is in the south of India. It's called Andhra Pradesh. The vision says very categorically, we have to get 40% of the rural population of agriculture. Fine. Where are they to go? Not a clue. So 40% of the rural population in Andhra Pradesh is 13 million people. That's about two-thirds of the population of Australia. You're going to displace them without a clue of where they will go next. The enormous cruelty of it never ceases to baffle me. At the national level, these policies were structured into our entire direction in the name of liberalization, globalization, and privatization. What happened? In 1991, India had a record 14.5%, I mean a very high 14.5% of her gross domestic product was on development expenditure. In 2004, that was 5.9%, or a fall of more than half. If you want the numbers in dollars, it means that public investment in agriculture turned negative. It means that public investment in agriculture was cut every year to the tune of $7 billion. It means that the income lost every year by rural India was between 30 and 34 billion US dollars. Now, when you're, when you're doing that to someone, I, I, my own argument with the powers that be was that you may as well send out the Air Force and bomb the damn villages. It will do less drastic damage than to take the guts out of the rural economy this way. From the day we did that, we've been spiraling downwards. Remember the other processes. Then the process of shifting to helping the rich. The process of deregulation, where Monsanto could come in and sell seeds at a price so shocking that... In the first hearing in the Supreme Court, they backed off and dropped the price by 65% because the judges were so outraged. The government, new government of Andhra Pradesh took Monsanto to the Monopolies Restrictive Trade Practices Commission. Monsanto said, we'll go to the court. The first rumbling in the court saw that Monsanto lost stomach for fight. It was selling a bag of seed for 1,850 rupees. That's $40. For 450 grams of BT cotton seed, $40. By the way, this is an insane technology to use in an unirrigated area called Vidarbha where less than 3% irrigation exists. And this requires very huge quantities of water by their own admission. But it's been promoted hiring some of the state's top film stars and politicians as brand ambassadors. Mr. Nana Patekar, one of the legendary film stars of Marathi cinema, is the brand ambassador. He's a brand ambassador who can't anymore enter Vidarbha. He cannot enter the place anymore. It's, he has not done it, at least to my knowledge, in the last two years. When the Supreme Court wrapped them on the knuckles, when the, when the court system, because it, it, there was no decision, Monsanto withdrew and dropped the price to 750 rupees, which is, I don't know how many dollars, from $40 to about $18? Okay, about $18. 
and were still making profits for themselves and their dealers. So that you can imagine the kind of free market cost that the peasant was paying. At the same time, fertilizer costs rose gigantically. Diammonia phosphate was about 120 rupees a bag. That's about less than three dollars. Now, 480 rupees a bag, more than uh, about ten dollars, more than ten dollars. Every single cost went up, input cost went up between 100% to 300%, in some cases 400% for pesticides. Seabag AG's monocrotophores is the largest single mechanism of committing suicide for farmers in India. Most of the people who have killed themselves, nine-tenths of the deaths have been from the ingestion of pesticide, and usually it has been monocrotophores. In Andhra, Particularly monocrotophores because Mr. Naidu distributed it free while cutting all other supports to farmers. So it was a cheap way of killing yourself and, uh, and people accepted it. And all, as all this was going on and agriculture was collapsing, we were exporting wheat. We are also living in a world where there's another set to that processes. A, I, for, I forgot to mention, the inequality in global relations means that the WTO, the IMF, the World Bank and other so-called multilateral bodies act as the agents, the dalals, if you like, or the executive committee at best of major corporations concentrated in a few rich nations. Okay? So that's what's happened. Now, take for instance, um, one of the things, the prescriptions, standard prescriptions of export-led growth. You know, India is doing very well. You export food. You're going to be a major food exporting power. Now we're re-importing re Punjab rice, uh, Punjab wheat. However, following these policies meant that we cut all supports to our farmers while the United States and, and European Union hugely increased subsidies not to farmers but to corporations. Well, even the subsidies to farmers are much bigger than ours. But I don't even want to compare farmers and corporations and I don't want to compare Indian farmers and uh, American farmers. Let me give you an entirely different uh, comparison. I was looking and I've been assured in Texas that my figure is wrong and it's an underestimate, which is okay because so long as it's not an overestimate. I was told in Austin that the figure is much higher and the EU figure seems to be higher. But if we just compare the national minimum wage for rural employment in India, it's 60 rupees. It's a dollar and 20 cents and it comes only 100 days in a year maximum to the same person. You can't get it for 365 days. A dollar and 20 cents is the wage for rural labor now under the Employment Guarantee Program. The average subsidy for a European Union or American cow is about $2.75. Patrick can correct me if I'm wrong. But it's $2.75, which is two and a half times the minimum wage for human beings in rural employment. So you see, Mr. Vijay Javandia, the leading farm activist of the Vidarbha region, was interviewed recently by an enthusiastic young journalist who asked him, Mr. Javandia, what is the dream of the Indian farmer? He said the dream of the Indian farmer is to be born a European cow. <laughs> you, have, um, you have this incredible, you have this incredible inequity. You have this, you in, of course, at the, end of the, at the end of the subsidies, our farmer's heads are not chopped off, but, uh, but I mean, that's a different, but you just look at it. I was, you know, when you look at some of the numbers, they, they really, Obscene. You don't compare human beings. Anyway, these price-distorting subsidies are fantastic, say, in the case of cotton. And cotton is Vidarbha's mainstay. Long staple cotton. Around 97, 94, 
the new york cotton exchange price per pound of cotton was about you know 40 cents or so then it was about 110 cents per pound then it falls massively as huge subsidies kick in and finally it's about 35 cents a pound killing farmers all the way from vidarbha to burkina faso and mali and chad and the west african states last year the presidents of mali and burkina faso wrote a piece in the new york times your subsidies are strangling us nothing has changed the subsidies have gone up last year the total value of the cotton product, cotton output of the united states was 3.9 billion dollars the subsidies for these corporation corporate growers was 4.7 billion dollars on a crop value output of 3.9 billion dollars then the us did something even more interesting no other country has managed this having subsidized the cotton more than anyone had done in history they then subsidized other corporations who bought the subsidized cotton to purchase the subsidized cotton you were given a subsidy it has ripped the guts out of the cotton economy world over the world over the eu grows very little cotton spain and portugal that's about it but the level of subsidy has just punctured the prices for us the result of this is that india has imported uh, more cotton in the, in the last 7 years india has imported three times more cotton than she has imported in the preceding 25 years and they get 6 months credit from the corporations so the mumbai textile lobby is getting its cotton free almost duty on cotton 10% we have a right to make it 90% or even 110% we are not doing that mr pavar is not interested cotton is not his product but there is a 60% duty on sugar which is his product so you have this in- incredible asymmetry in the world but it's not as if farmers elsewhere are doing much better farmers in bangladesh pakistan are in the same state as our farmers farmers in the united states i found it difficult to find a separate category called farmers in your census and i think that they are no longer counting them as a separate category in the us census i could be very wrong i was asking someone else about this but i think you will now be counted in the ag census rather than in the general census because what number of farmers is less than 2% some less than less than 2% so you have this incredible visitation of inequality structured through structured policy that is now destroying the world's largest body of small holder farmers that's india the world's largest body of small holder farmers here they sorted you out quite some time ago right there are very very few left but there's a big difference one in the standards of living two in the where do they go we're talking about hundreds of millions of people here's the point here's the nub of the story we are witnessing the biggest human displacement in our history it's not from a dam it's not from a canal it's not from a defense project it's not from a power uh, it's not from a mining project it's from agriculture we're throwing people off the land in gigantic numbers so that they can go to the cities in search of jobs which are not there because our manufacturing is in the doldrums we've closed tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of units where do they go what will they do how do they survive what are the options you've created when you say we've got to take people out of agriculture show me the options and people unable to see the options are taking their lives for more on polygamy sanath see the winter 2007 issue of the land stewardship letter samples of his writing and updates on india's agrarian crisis are also available at www.indiatogether.org/opinions backslash p-s-a-i-n-a-t-h that's indiatogether.org backslash opinions backslash p-s-a-i-n 
ATH. Send your comments and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also call me at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member and would like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank you.